Hi, this is Adam Rowe, a global Methodist pastor welcoming you to Whole in Christ. Here we delve into the life-changing essence of God's love, exploring its role in perfecting us and transforming our everyday lives. As we journey together, let's unravel spiritual truths, cultivate personal growth, and discover how we can become whole in Christ. Ready for a transformative experience? Let's get started. morning, friends. Welcome back to our study in Romans. Today we are going to be in Romans 4, and we will be looking at verses 1 through 12. That's Romans 4, verses 1 through 12. But before we do that, I've been thinking more and more about what type of mentality and approach to spirituality do we find in Scripture? The reason I ask this People can bring all kinds of understandings, interpretations, thoughts to Scripture, and some of it's helpful, some of it is not. But we don't as often think about what kind of a mindset, like what kind of a a way of living and thinking the writers of Scripture brought to the task of sending letters and to doing life as church. It may not surprise you that having spent most of my life in the military in some capacity, I've always been, uh, I, I guess, I've always liked the Stoic thinkers of, uh, of Rome and Greece. And, and as I was thinking about what kind of a person writes the letter of Romans, I couldn't help but be drawn back to actually something Peter said in 1 Peter 13. He writes, or 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 13, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. That word, fully sober, speaks to me about what sort of mindset Paul brings to sharing the gospel with the church in Rome. It speaks to me about his ability to speak with force and authority to the Jews who are in Rome that we would think of now as Messianic Jews. And I want us to think more and more about not just the content of what we bring to other believers, but also the mindset that we're bringing. Because I I am fully convinced that you cannot bring the content of Christianity with the full force in which it was meant to be shared unless you're sharing the mind and the heart and the spirit within which it's given. And I'll share with you a personal example on where I think this can go wrong. It was around 2011, maybe 2012, I was pastoring a church where we sponsored a halfway house. And this is a wonderful ministry. A lot of good things happened here. I went to one worship service there, and it was probably more charismatic than I would prefer, but I didn't think anything of it. It wasn't for me. It was for them. But there was this guy there that kept looking back at me. And I couldn't figure out, you know, like, what, do I have something in my teeth? Or, you know, I couldn't figure out what he was looking for. And at the end of the service, 
he walks up to me and he says, you know, if you keep coming back, we'll teach you how to cry, which seemed like an odd statement to me. Uh, I have nothing, I have nothing against crying. You know, I do cry sometimes with my kids. I don't think, actually believe that's true. I do cry sometimes as any normal human being does, I believe. But what I realized in that is it was a strain of what I would think of as Christian pietism that assumes something is more true if you're emotional about it. And that approach to faith simply does not exist in the Bible. I see it all the time in churches right now, where your faith is more valid if you feel something, if you have an emotional reaction to that thing. And repentance really does not require much emotion. What it requires is conviction. It is conviction that will move you away from a life of sin to a life of walking in Jesus Christ. So as we read today about Abraham being justified by faith, what I want us to hear is this. Abraham had a long life. He was convicted of what his role was in following what God had for him. He didn't do it perfectly. But I, what I want you to know is this, as Abraham, as Paul, as Peter, as all the apostles were going out into the world, they were doing it with a sense of seriousness and sober-mindedness. It's not to say they never had a sense of humor, they didn't laugh, they didn't cry, they didn't do things like that. What it is to say is that emotions are fine, they're going to come and go, but don't base your faith on the emotion. Be sober-minded be serious. Be the type of person that Paul is writing to here where he's willing to go to prison. He's willing to suffer anything that he has to do, and he's willing to do it with a sober mind. All right, so let's jump into the text. Today, I like to mix things up a little bit. You know, you got to change your route sometimes. So today we're going to be reading from the English Standard Version, the ESV, and we will be reading again Romans 4, verses 1 through 12. I'll start with the whole text, and then we'll dive into the specifics. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David, also speaking to the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. 
The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. All right, here ends the lesson. So, again, Paul is continuing this theme of faith as it relates to law, grace, works, things like that. Some of it feels a little bit complicated, but the the idea overarching is very straightforward. Paul is making an appeal to faith before all other things. And before you get to anything that has to do with works of the law, you have to have justification or salvation by faith. It is faith that justifies. So let's jump in again and start breaking it down. Verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Okay, stopping there. What is it you're able to boast about before God? What can you boast about before God? If your answer is anything other than nothing, then it's wrong. You have absolutely nothing. I have absolutely nothing to boast about before God. The creator of the universe is not impressed by anything I do. I once heard someone say, God doesn't need your prayers. God doesn't need my prayers. It's not like he's sitting in heaven and needing something from me and then saying, well, thank you, Adam. I needed that. No, that, that's not. I have nothing to boast about. I have nothing to praise God about that he doesn't already know about himself, but he does like it when I do that. Why? Because he loves me and he loves you and he wants to remain connected to us and he knows that prayer is the way that we remain connected. But just as my prayer isn't in a sense benefiting God by making him more whole, God doesn't become more whole within himself by the things I do. He is already complete and perfect. However, he also loves my neighbor. He also loves my neighbor. So if I'm going to be a person of faith, and I want to walk in the faith that I've been given through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, guess what? I'm going to love my neighbor enough, just like God does, to want to do things for my neighbor. And if I have the holiness of God residing within my heart, guess what? I'm going to want to live a holier life. I'm going to want to walk away from the life of sin. And this is the maybe the largest criticism I have of mainline Christianity right now. Christianity is not therapy. I'm not saying therapy doesn't have its place. It absolutely does. But Christianity is not designed to be therapeutic. It's designed to drive people toward holiness. And so, when we talk about justification by faith, we're not talking about a bare faith where we just kind of, well, I guess that's it. No. We may not be able to boast before God, but we can at least desire the heart of God, and the heart of God is one that calls on our lives to look like something specific. So while we will not stand before God and boast, if we have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, it will be conformed to what God has called us to.
verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed. What did Abraham believe? He believed everything that was revealed to him by God. Everything. This is the life of a sober-minded individual who takes the instruction that God gives to him and then lives in it fully, even if it means mockery from other people, especially when it's uncomfortable and always in defiance and opposition to evil. Always. So Abraham believed God. Do you think Abraham was ever tempted to do things that were not in conformity to God's will? He absolutely did. Uh, and he did them. The one that constantly comes to mind for me is Abraham going into a town and telling the kings every single time that his wife is his sister. And then the king's finding out, and you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And he did it out of fear. So Abraham had his issues. However, on the whole, if you look at the trajectory of his life, he listened to God and he did what God had for him. Paul continues in verse four. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Paul's circling back around to works now. You cannot earn salvation. You can't. I like to think of it this way as kind of a, a starting point. You didn't earn your creation. You didn't earn your life. The fact that you were born is a grace that God has given to you. He gave it to you through your parents and the things that, you know, and, and sexuality. But you didn't earn life. In the same way, you didn't earn salvation because you couldn't do it. Before there's you, there's a God. That God has a holy standard, and in Jesus, there is a holy way. If you have God with a holy standard, and you have Jesus with a holy way, then everything that you do in the life of faith is given to you before you can do it. It's given to you through the law of nature. As Paul describes in earlier chapters of Romans, it's given to you specifically in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but it's a gift to you. It's not something that you've done. Why? Because you've never done anything in this world where God did not either supply it, create it, or do it before you did it. All right. Verse 5, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, the faith is counted as righteousness. I've heard this referred to as recumbency upon God. Before you do any work, before you go out into the world, before you help your neighbor, before you are sanctified, even within your heart, you have to lean on God. You recline in faith upon the promises of God. And that is what's counted as righteousness. So to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the godly. And who is that? Jesus Christ. His faith 
is counted as righteousness. His faith is counted as righteousness. Now that's curious. Why would faith count as righteousness? It's because faith is rightly ordered and directed toward God. You see, you can do a lot of things, but if you don't do those things with your heart and your mind directed toward God and the power of Jesus Christ, then it, it doesn't matter on matters of faith. Faith is not a works thing. Faith is a faith thing, and then the works come out of it. So God justifies based on where our heart and our mind is oriented. And if your heart and mind are not oriented toward God, then it cannot be an act of faith. It, it, it'd be like your parents providing a home, providing all the resources that you need, but you don't want to have anything to do with your parents, right? You, you just, you want the resources, you want to be able to do the things with the things but until you acknowledge the parents who have provided the things, you're not really rightly oriented. You can be grateful to have a car. You can be even a great person who provides a ride for friends for free, you know, not even the Uber Lyft stuff. You're just providing it for free, using that resource. But the resource didn't come from you. It came from your parents. And if you don't acknowledge and respect the fact that your parents have given you that resource, then you're not really grateful. You're not acting sort of like in a relational sense with your parents. You're just taking what they've provided and presumed upon them. And then when you go and do good things with the resources and you're not acknowledging your parents, you're really quite arrogant. Your eyes are blind because you're not seeing how your parents have given you this thing to allow you to thrive and exist. So, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the godly, the faith, his faith is counted as righteousness because it's rightly ordered and focused on the one who has given all the good gifts in the world. Verse six, just as David, also speaking of the blessing of the one to whom God counts right, righteousness apart from works, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the, the Lord will not count his sin. Take this back for a second to Adam and Eve. What was their real sin? Was it eating the fruit? I mean, it's just fruit. It's, it's not anything special. It's not the fruit itself. It's the fact that they disobeyed. The, the magic uh, destruction of Genesis 3 is not found in the fruit itself. It's found in the disobedience. And in the disobedience, Adam and Eve developed knowledge of sin. And it was the knowledge of sin that ultimately destroyed the world. We now live in a whole narrative of sin around us. However, when Christ came to earth, he took on all of creation, all of sin, and he, in a fancy thousand-letter theological world, 
recapitulated the world. That is to say, he reversed the thing. He took it on himself, reversed all the brokenness, and turned it into righteousness. As a result of that, blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin, because in Jesus Christ, that sin has been overcome. All of sin, not just your personal sin, though certainly your personal sin is part of that, but all of the sin of creation. If you've never read on the incarnation um, by St. Athanasius, I would recommend doing that because it talks a great deal about this. We sometimes tend to reduce salvation to the individual level and think that that's all there is, but it's really a salvation from the curse of sin and death over all of creation, of which we are, of course, a part. But we're not the only part. We're just a part. So God does not count it as sin universally, but that doesn't mean that we are turning to him in faith by necessity. It's when we do turn to him by faith that the benefits of the Lord no longer counting sin as sin happens for us. Verse 9, is this blessing then only for the, un for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Stop for just a second. Obviously, Abraham did not know the name of Jesus. He couldn't. He existed thousands of years before Jesus walked the earth. However, his faith, though not complete, was directed rightly toward God. And when he finally did hear the message of Jesus, when Jesus died, he went down into Hades. He preached to those who had gone before, and he brought them out of that prison and lifted them up into paradise. So we, for we say that the faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Abraham was righteous before God as a result of his faith. Verse 10, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? And here's this important point again. Paul's made it a few times. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. How was righteousness counted to him in faith? Before he was circumcised. Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Let's read that again. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Think back to Genesis with Abraham. He's having conversations with God. He's doing what God has called on him to do. He's trusting that God is going to do the things that he says he's going to do. Sarah, his wife, you know, she's a little questionable on the having a baby at the age of like 99 years old. But on the whole, Abraham and Sarah, they're trusting God. They're doing uh, what God has called on them to do. And they're trusting that he's going to deliver on the promises that he makes. That faith preceded the circumcision that Abraham was to have later. Again, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. 
continuing on, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Great argument by Paul. Not an argument, just a fact, but a great insight by Paul. What Paul is saying here is the reason Abraham is the father of all nations, not just the nation of Israel, is that his faith preceded circumcision. Circumcision was specific to the Israelites. Faith goes beyond circumcision, and it can go out to the entire world. Circumcision was a seal. It created this sense of identity within the Israelite community, and it was within that community that Jesus eventually comes and shows us the fullness of faith and overcomes sin and death. So it is not the circumcision that makes one a person of Abraham. It is the faith, the faith of Abraham. Verse 12, wrapping up, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And this is the warning to, uh, this is just a truth and it's a warning. It's It's a warning to everybody who considers themselves a person of faith, whether Jew or Gentile. Do not think that just because you've gone through ceremonies and rituals and that you have those things uh, in your past, that that makes you a follower. A follower is a follower. Abraham is the father of those who, yes, are circumcised, but are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised, who walk in the footsteps of the faith. If I were to ask the average person in churches today what repentance means, I think we would get something along the lines of an appeal to feeling sorry. That's not repentance. And and repentance is not one time in your life going to an altar, kneeling, praying, having a, a response to God. That's all good. I'm not saying it's bad. But that is not the fullness of the life of faith. The fullness of the life of faith, as Abraham outlines it here, is one who walks in the footsteps of the faith, one who walks in the footsteps of the faith. That is a challenge that is directed toward all of us, myself included. If we want to call ourselves followers, it is not enough merely to feel sorry for sin. We must repent of it and decide that we are turning around and walking in obedience to what God has created us for and what he has called us to. So when I'm looking at my life and taking stock of things, I have to ask myself, am I walking in the footsteps of Jesus 
or am I merely saying that I believe in Jesus? Because those are not the same things. This is what John Wesley got kicked out of churches for because he was telling people in churches, look, you're here and you might say all the right things about Jesus. That's good. That's a good start. But as James says, even the demons can do that. I'm not calling people in churches demons, but I am saying that if a demon can do that, there's nothing special about it when we do it. What makes faith valuable and what makes faith truly faith is when we walk, when we walk in the footsteps of our father Abraham who trusted God. And we now as Christian believers have the fullness of that faith in Jesus Christ. So friends, my encouragement to you this week is to take stock of your life. Don't merely look at Jesus and say, I like him. Look at Jesus and say, I will walk the path of him. That's all I have for today, folks. God bless you. Have a great day, and I'll be back soon. Thanks for joining us today. We deeply value your support, and we're always eager to hear your thoughts. Please feel free to leave a comment about today's episode, and if you have any prayer requests, we'd be honored to bring those before God with you. Remember, if you're finding value in our conversations, we'd appreciate it if you could rate us and subscribe to stay updated on all our upcoming episodes. Thank you for being part of our community, and may you be richly blessed in your journey with Christ.